0: This is Mike Roth. Welcome to the Open Forum in the Villages podcast. In this show, we're going to talk to leaders in the community, leaders of clubs, and interesting folks who live here in the villages to give perspective of what's happening here in the villages and information that I think all villagers should have. We hope to add a new episode every Friday morning at 9 o'clock. This is Mike Roth on Open Forum with the Villages. I'm here today with Dr. Bill Bateman, who is an adjunct professor at Trine University, where he teaches in the area of leadership and finance. Most of his students and friends call him Dr. B. Thanks for joining me here, Dr. B. Thanks, Mike, for having me today. Okay. Let me fill in our audience a little bit more on your background. Dr. Bill worked in the automotive real estate capital business in Tyson's Corners, Virginia. And he spent 10 years as a full-time faculty at DeVoy's Graduate School of Management in Northwood, Midland, Michigan. Yep. Wow. Bill is the past president of the Michigan campus at Northwood University. He most recently was the chair of the management department at Walsh College in Troy, Michigan. Spent a lot of time in Michigan, Bill. Well, I'm from Michigan, so. Okay, yeah. He began his career in higher education and spent 25 years as a commercial banker with America and SunTrust Banks. He has also worked in commercial real estate and private equity in the D.C. area. Bill holds a DBA. Bill holds a doctorate of business administration from Nova Southeastern University, an MSM, Master's of Science and Management from Walsh College, and a BBA from West Michigan University. He was a value consultant, and Bill has worked in the finance space most of his career, and his degrees in management and leadership. He studied all over the country with leadership gurus like John Maxwell, Ken Blanchard, and Paul Hersey, Dave Ramsey, and Marshall Goldsmith. Bill's doctorate research was on the relationship between humor and leadership style, which is really the subject of our podcast today. Bill lives in the villages. And how long have you lived here in the villages, Bill? Just about three months. Okay. Bill lives with his wife, who is also a college professor. Uh, they have two rescue dogs, Opie and Andy. Bill is involved in the Improv Comedy Group. That's where I met Bill. Bill has been involved in the improvisational theater comedy group, and he likes to ride his golf cart around the villages and meet new people. He looks forward to getting to know every one of the villages. Well, Bill, that's bad news. It's only like 150,000 people. I understand that. That's like when I became
1: president at Northwood University. I made a goal to meet every student or at least know every student's name,
0: mm-hmm. because
1: one of the other presidents at another campus would do that. Well, I had almost two thousand students. Kevin in Texas only had six hundred. Yeah. So yeah. when I found out
0: that it was it was a problem. Yeah, it's a it's a big problem to get to know big groups, but you, at least you're working on it. So you you ride around the villages in your golf cart and you say to everyone, "I'm Doctor Bill." Yeah, usually my little dog Andy will make the introduction for me. Oh, he barks it. Yeah, okay. he, li- he likes to bark. Okay. Since we're talking about humor today, why don't you tell our audience how you got started in the field of humor research, which is a, a little bit of a specialized field. Yeah,
1: so when I was at uh, Nova Southeastern down in Fort Lauderdale, uh, from the first course in the doctoral studies, they encouraged you to pick a topic that could end up as being your dissertation study. So, that way, you can do a lot of the work and a lot of the research along the way instead of waiting until you take all your classes, take your comprehensive exams, and say, oh, I need a dissertation. So, my first paper I wrote for an organizational behavior course was on the field of humor and what makes
0: things humorous. Good. This is for my grandson, Evan, since we're doing a humor story. Here's a joke. In New York City, Bill, what building has the most stories? I don't know, Mike. What building has the most stories? The public library.
1: Okay. (laughs) Do you have a good joke, too, since we're talking about humor? I'm not really a joke teller, but I always find humor in situations. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I even used it in the eulogy at my dad's funeral. Really, my dad's eulogy was a series of funny stories. And one of them that I remember, I thought was got the biggest laugh at, was uh, my dad, when I was a kid, would always save Avon bottles. If you remember them, they'd be all. These little colognes and perfumes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. different, you know, shapes and sizes. And I asked him why he saved them, and he said, Well, they're going to be worth money someday, Bill. Don't worry about it. And you know what, Mike? He was right. They were worth money. I got $3 for them at his estate sale. All
0: the bottles for $3? <laughs> yeah, all of them. Well, someone must have got a great bargain. They were probably so, worth at least $10,000 a bottle. I, I doubt it. I don't think you had the right ones. Okay, so what was your biggest surprise in your study of humor? Well, when I chose
1: to, to look at humor in leadership, I thought it was going to be a lot of fun and I was going to be reading a lot of funny stuff and laughing and yucking it up. What I found out is that uh, it wasn't fun at all. It's a very serious topic for those that choose to make it their life's work to uh, do research. So it kind of reminds me of that Steve Martin album. Most people don't had never even heard of it. It was called Comedy is Not Pretty. Mm. And uh, no, he was right because that was his least selling album of all of them that he came out with. So,
0: comedies really are, and humor are really serious subjects. Mm-hmm. So, in your research when, of the history of humor, when did humor start? Well, you know, you can go back
1: all the way to the you know philosophers, you know, dating back, you know, Aristotle and Socrates and those. And Those, and, those were very humorous guys, weren't they? Well, not necessarily. You wouldn't think of that the first thing. No. But there were... There were some humorous things that went on in their in their uh, you know in their work, and uh, that's where it started and then it went on you know until the uh, time of Christ. just after that, there were some famous philosophers. Quintilian was the one that was most looking at you know how you know humor elicits laughter mm-hmm. and really nothing was done on it again until the 1700s and then you know up to that point, you know having a sense of humor. Was no more, you know, uh, common than saying someone had a sense of beauty. Mm-hmm. So the sense of humor really came out in the 1700s, 1800s, and then when you get to, you know, the 20th century, you know, you've got uh, in, in a little bit before that, you've got guys like Freud that are talking about humor in relation to uh, personality traits. So what I found out, for the most part, is that you really can't measure if somebody's funny or not. Because what's funny to you, Mike, might not be funny to me at all. Mm-hmm. So, when I started, you know, test marketing this idea that I was going to look at leadership style using the Hersey-Blanchard situational leadership model, real popular in the, in the 80s among corporate training. So, I was going to ma- measure that against whether or not someone had, not if they were funny, but if they had a sense of humor. So, when I was test marketing, everybody's saying, well, you'll be able to test Hersey-Blanchard. That's not a problem don't know how you're going to test the humor part. Well, Mm -hmm. it turned out there'd been a lot of work done on that. And there were many what we call instruments or surveys, you might know them as, that I could use in my research to measure whether or not someone has a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. And there are different senses of humor. Yeah. And and, and there's there's a number of uh, theories that we can get to and, and talk about that. But what I wanted to focus on was humor in the workplace. Because mm-hmm. there's really, up until, say, the last 15 or 20 years, there hasn't been a lot of research on humor in the, in, in the workplace. And there hadn't been any really uh, real serious research on humor itself. You know, we look at you know linguistics and philosophy and psychology and business, but nothing about humor. So what I wanted to do was marry the two concepts or construct, constructs, as we call them in research, between humor and leadership style. So I had to go back. And kind of understand what 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 is a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And the first thing I read is that humor is like bi- beauty, okay? You know it when you see it,
0: mm-hmm. but you can't really describe what it is. So, here's a direct question. Do humorous managers get promoted more or less than serious managers? Well, my research hypothesis was that there's
1: two styles of leadership from the Hersey-Blanchard model – that are, have very supportive behaviors, okay, and the others have very directive behaviors. Mm-hmm. What happened is the survey or the um, sample that I used was all MBA students that I had access to, and there was no variation. Everybody there thought they had a sense of humor, so my results were inconclusive. Everybody thought they had a sense of humor. Yes. Hmm. interesting. But you have to remember it was somewhat of a homogeneous
0: sample Sure. All, all MBA students. And they were pre-selected by the university to be MBA students. Right. Based on a set of criteria. So you, you have a homogeneous group. Right, right. Now let's take the, expand and, and take the position of a stand-up comedian who has to do a five-minute set that's comical, that, that gets the audience to laugh. Are there any rules that you discovered that budding comedians might want to follow to be a more humorous? You
1: know, I've thought about that a lot and, you know, it reminds me of the times I've taken my wife to a comedy club. Mm -hmm. And then you come back the next day and you try to tell the joke to a friend or the routine to a friend. It's not funny, okay? Because there's so much else going on when the comedian's delivering the lines. I mean, anybody can find a good writer, but Mm -hmm. delivering the lines. So, I think of a guy like some of my favorites were like Andy Kaufman, who really was more funny, I always thought, in what he didn't say. As opposed to what he did say.
0: And the physicality of it.
1: Yeah. And even more so, there's a guy out there now, Sebastian Manis- Maniscola, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. This guy's hilarious. He, he's a, uh, but if I tried to do his act word for word, it would not come off the way. Cause Sebastian does uh, a lot of physicality, but it's not like Pratt falls or things like that. Just the way he moves around stage and, you know hilarious stuff and you know i i recommend anybody listening to this podcast look him up on youtube because the guy is very very funny why don't you spell his name for everybody well i don't think i can do that pronounce it again sebastian maniscola okay i had to look it up before i came in today to make sure i had it right right he's also he also has some specials on on netflix there used to be a comedian
0: named gallagher yeah i actually saw him in vegas in the front row did you yeah he he was a pretty funny guy. Uh, as it turned out, he lived across the street from one of my friends in Los Angeles when I was living there. We were having a, this was the time when Exxon was building that pipeline in Alaska. Sure. And uh, one of our friends was selected to work on the pipeline for two years. And so he was leaving. So we we're having a going away party for John. And we made one of those, you know, 30 foot long banners that we hung across the house and the garages. And we said, So long, John. And when everyone got to the party, the last people that, that came to the party said to us, why is the sign that says, so long, John, on the house across the street? And uh, Julie, whose house it was, said, no, it can't be. And, and, and she goes out and everyone follows her out. And sure enough, there's Gallagher. Oh. Don't move the sign. And he did an impromptu show in the street for the uh, 30 of us who were gathered for this party. But he was a a pretty funny guy.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and very physical, too. He would uh, end his show by smashing a watermelon with a big sledgehammer. Right. So being in the front row had some significance, and they actually would sell the uh, cheap little raincoats for people that might get in the uh, line of fire. Right. And uh,
0: they got a pretty good penny for them, but, you know, supply and demand ruled. It was called the poncho zone.
1: Yeah, (laughs) right.
0: We uh, went to see the Blue Man Group in Vegas. And I had bought the tickets maybe six months before we got there. And we got to the box office to pick them up. And she said, you know, you're in the poncho zone. And I looked at her and said, does that mean people only speak Spanish here? <laughs> and she said, oh, no, no. There's a poncho in the back of your seat. Uh, the show could get messy. When you get there, put it on. Right. Well, we never got messy, but it, it was a messy show. Uh, Gallagher, after his little street show, took us in the backyard. and He had a sledge matic Right, right. And a watermelon, and he showed us where he practiced. Okay. <laughs> Different uh, objects being smashed with his sledge dramatic. His script, I bet, if you read it word for word, wasn't funny. Right. But when he picked up the sledge dramatic, it got a lot funnier. Right. Right. Now to be funny, to be funny and humorous, are there any rules that managers or entertainers should follow? Well, you know, you've got to be
1: number one. Be careful. You know, we're living in a, uh, you know, woke society and there's a lot of people that will be offended by almost anything someone will say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, recently, you know, some comedians have been, you know, canceled because of some of the stuff that was really meant to be funny. So, you got to be careful, you know, avoid the, you know, double entendres are always the things that will get somebody, including managers, in trouble. But having said that, you know, managers can use humor in their management style, and we've seen this in practice, you know, one of our cast members, Rick at the improv group, he says he uses humor all the time with both his customers and his employees at a restaurant he manages. Mm -hmm. But humor and laughter in particular will relax the whole body. Okay. It boosts the immune system. It triggers endorphins. And uh, when you're laughing or, you know, hearing humor, it can protect the heart. And this is the most interesting statistic I found out in my research is that having hundred to 200 belly laughs a day leads to burn up 500 calories so might be something you want to think about before you start your next exercise program mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Uh, humor in the workplace can also help to uh, build productivity among employees It can help in decision making um, you know it gets people's uh, humor will get is a is really an
0: intellectual you know um, event and so like I think the humor has to be positive. There are those people who do humorous things that create a negative kick. And
1: yeah, that's what is known as a superiority theater or a theory, I should say, mm-hmm. where you're you know singling out one person and you know making fun of them. That doesn't work so far. What they found that does work is when you're using you know uh, you know downgrading or you know being funny about an entire group. And what happens there is that group will coalesce around that, as opposed to an individual who just feels insulted. But then you got to look back to a guy like Don Rickles, mm-hmm. who you know had his whole career was uh, based on
0: insulting people, and yes. he was pretty good at it. Well, he would pick people out of the audience, and he would work them to death. In, in improv, we use a technique either consciously or unconsciously called reach back. That's where you take something that was in a scene. 10 minutes ago, and you work it back into a scene now, and it becomes funny. Yeah, I've seen uh, some of the best comedians do that. you got to be paying attention, though, in order to find humor in that. Right, and and there is a rule in comedy that a punchline without a straight line is almost never funny, so you always have to deliver the straight line first, and it has to be clear enough so that your audience definitely understands it.
1: Yeah. And the other thing, comedy can be used, or humor, I should say, can be used when you're sending out a message. And even if it's going to be a bad message, you sandwich it with some humor. And people will listen to you when you're humorous. And then it can also be a motivator. And, you know, you look back to, you know, having fun on the job and using humor. And if you've ever visited Seattle to the Pike Street uh, fish market there, these yeah. guys are hilarious and they'll throw fish around and they get the audience involved. Have you ever personally visited there? I have, yeah, a no, couple times. I visited times. twice. I, I was there yeah.
0: about a year ago.
1: Yeah, see, we always had a day before
0: a Alaskan cruise to spend in Seattle. so. And they had a, a monkfish, uh, which is a pretty ugly fish, in, a, in a, uh, a tray of ice that was leveled about 45 degrees towards where passerbys were. And they had a motorized mouth oh. on, on the monkfish. And someone had a microphone backstage with a speaker near where the monkfish was, and they could talk from the monkfish. But they were throwing the fishes around. The first time we saw it, probably 20 years ago, we couldn't believe it. But it became a whole genre in training. Where I was, we, we used a technique. We called it entertainment. If we weren't keeping the people entertained in training, they weren't learning. And then we, we went from, you know, hour, hour and a half classes to bits where we broke the training down into three to 20-minute bits. 20 minutes was exceptionally long. And that's one of the reasons that the show, Open Forum in the Villages, is broken down into 15 to 20-minute bits most of the time. Sometimes a little bit less, sometimes a little bit more, but never more than 30 minutes. It's too much. Right. You know, we have a society of short attention span people who were brought up on television Well, it's gotten even more than that with, uh, you know,
1: generations that are coming through college now. Everything's in emojis and, you know, a little, uh, you know, their crypto acronyms or whatever that they use. I tell students that if you ever put an emoji in a paper that you submit, you automatically fail. Mm -hmm. So,
0: (laughs) well, a lot of us aren't very good at emojis. I was one of the people who uh, learned desktop computers with DOS and they were character based. Commands, you know, whether it's directory for DIR. Right. Okay. And when Windows came along, I was aggravated because it required me to learn hieroglyphics, which I thought was a dead language of the Egyptians to run the computers. It was uh, quite annoying. Bill, I understand that in your research, you've developed what you call the four M's of humor. The four
1: M's of humor in the workplace is that it can be a medicator, it can be a manager, it can be a messenger and it can be a motivator. Can you explain briefly
0: what each one of the four means?
1: Yeah. The medicator is that there's been research that shows that laughing and being humorous are good for the endorphin. They release endorphins. They're good for the heart. And you can actually burn calories with a good belly laugh. I think it relaxes people as well. It relaxes, yep. Um, as a manager, uh, they found that humor will improve productivity. Mm-hmm. It helps in decision-making as a messenger. Uh, when you're using humor, you get people to listen. And then as a motivator, you know, we talked about the fish market in Seattle where they throw the fish around and have a good time and it can act as a motivator to get people to enjoy their jobs and doing their jobs, you know. It actually got people to buy more fish. Well, that's the idea. Yeah. I that's mean, why humor is used so much in advertising too.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, good humor. Yes. And I'm not of... talking about ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it, it was interesting to note at the fish market, the market in Seattle. I forgot the name of the market Pike Street Market. Pike's Peak Market, right. Uh, so there's a big entrance where the, uh, the fishmongers are. And these guys who were throwing the fish around have a, lo- a large crowd and they're selling a lot of fish. Uh, so my wife and I wandered around the rest of the market because uh, we had an hour or two before uh, we had to go back and get on the ship. And we discovered there were other fish mongers in the market, but they didn't have anywhere near the crowds, and right. they were selling their fish at much lower prices. Yeah, there's there's value pricing you know, absolutely going on with
1: the uh, the Pike Street guys. Well, it's entertainment as yep. well as fish. And people are willing to pay for it. So can we wrap it up with a good joke, Bill? Um, again, my, my humor tends to be situational. So the biggest day on campus uh, when I was president of the university was when the new freshmen would move in to their dorms. And they'd bring their, you know, mom and dad and their aunt and their uncle and their, you know, brothers and sisters. And the kids, they were having a great time. I mean, I had 800, you know, pretty freshman girls, you know, looking for 800, you know, good-looking guys. So they were taking care of themselves and getting along. But the parents would have a very difficult day because, you know, their child's leaving home sometimes for the first time. And, you know, I used to tease the fathers, you know, why are you wearing the sunglasses? It's, you know, overcast here today. But, you know, they were teared up. Mm -hmm. So, one of the things I had to do is I had to address all of the parents uh, in the morning and, you know, try to help them understand that everything's going to be all right. We're going to take care of their children. Don't have to worry. And I'd start off with a little story and I'd say, you know, I've been looking around. I've been doing this a while. And i see break you up into two groups, Okay these groups are, you know, pretty much can be described by what happened before you left the house this morning. Now, one group, you're sitting by your child's bedroom and it's kind of emptied out and you're sitting there and you kind of tear up thinking about how you're going to miss your child and it's not going to be the same without them. That's one group. The other group is you're sitting there and you're also getting teared up, but you're thinking about what a great home theater this room will make. <laughs> and that would always kind of break the tension, always
0: got a good laugh. And from there, I'd go on with the other good news. Well, I'm going to wrap it up with uh, a joke that, you, that that I turned into an improv skit last week. So this guy walks into the Christian Science Reading Room, and the lady who's running the, the Christian Science Reading Room says, Look around, we have a lot of good books. So he looks around, finds a couple of uh, books in a periodical he'd like to read, goes to a table, puts the books down, sits down on the chair, and promptly falls on the floor. He looks at the chair, looks at the librarian, and says, your chair is broken. And the librarian says, no problem. It's going to fix itself. Right.
1: Very good. Okay. Thanks for being with us today, Bill. Well, thank you, Mike. I enjoyed it. Good.
0: Remember, our next episode will air live next Friday at 9 a.m., or should I say pre-recorded, but that's when it'll be released on our regular subscriptions. Bonus subscribers can get early access to episodes. Should you want to become a sponsor of the show, contact me at mikeroth at rothvoice.com. If you know someone that you think should be on the show, send me an email at mike at rothvoice.com. I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. The content of the show is copyright by Roth Voice 2022, all rights reserved.